morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Assembly of God. We are having a great day today. We're going to have mission. This is Mission Sunday. So a lot of us have worn clothing um, representing a particular country. You might be representing America, and that's okay. If you didn't <laughs> wear anything else, that's fine. Um, but we, we really enjoy this Sunday every year. So I mean, why don't you stand up and get ready to worship with us? Um, Lord, we just love you. We welcome you in this house. Lord, we are here gathered in your name, and you promised that, we would be, that you would come, Lord, when we would gather in your name. Lord, we thank you for your presence today, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we, are, um, we can worship you, we can bless you, and that you inhabit the praise of your people. Lord, we, we just want to hear from you today, Jesus. Lord, we ask you that our hearts would be fertile soil to receive the word that you have prepared for us, Lord, that we will be transformed and, and just look more like you today when we leave. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, well... I like to sing When We All Get to Heaven. How about that? <laughs> Brian, why don't you kick us off? Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
for you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Woo. Praise you, Jesus. There's nobody like him, amen. Hallelujah, Lord.
worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's good for us to remember the day. Amen. We praise you, Lord. I remember when love came down. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Let's sing Famous Four. You are famous for 
Why don't you just tell him, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. You are so faithful, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you are no respecter of persons. You don't have any bias. And what you will do for one, what you did do for others, you will do for me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. They said, if it's your will, he said, I am willing. I am willing. Be thou clean. Be healed. Hallelujah, Jesus. He said, your faith has made you whole. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Lord. Jesus
1 Corinthians 8.3 says, and he knows our name, hallelujah, Jesus. Those that trust in him, he knows our name. How shall he not give us all things? What's that verse in Romans 8? How shall he not with him also give us all things? Romans 8, 31. How shall he not with him also give us all things? He knows our name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty.
for me. Thank you, Jesus. Come on up there. Nothing compares to him, amen. Just give him a praise, amen. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. What a wonderful praise and worship service. God is so good. Do you need him this morning? I'll tell you what, I want to just bring to your memory this morning and for you to really zone in on this fact. The devil is a liar and he hates us and he wants to mess us up. And he has a lot of devices. The Bible says we are not ignorant of his devices. He comes to us in the same kind of way that he came to Jesus in the wilderness. When did he, when did he attack Jesus? As soon as he got there? As soon as Jesus got there? No, he waited until Jesus had fasted for 40 days and he was weak. What a stinker. I know that's a little bit lame for how rotten the devil is, but that's all I got. I don't talk that way. He's worse than the worst. He will get you when you're sick. He will get you when you're discouraged. He will wait until you're tired. He will wait until you're weak. He will wait until you're hungry. He will wait until you know that you failed the Lord and you're already beating yourself up. He will join the party. And he will kill you if he can with discouragement, with self-loathing. He will kill you with your own inadequacies. He will magnify them in your mind. He will help you with that. But I want you to know it's a lie. It is not the way our God feels about you. And it is not any kind of a reflection on truth. Because God has forgiveness, first of all. He has redemption for every last thing that we've done. What was it that David had just done when Nathan the prophet came to him and David repented with all of his heart? What had David done? He had murdered a man so he could have his wife. Have you ever done that? I don't think so. If you did, there's even forgiveness for you. You're going to go to prison, but there's forgiveness for you. God loves you. I want to read you a verse from Psalm 103, starting in verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord remembers that. Can you remember that? Can you remember when you mess up that you are dust? That you were never meant to be perfect? That that was never going to be a thing for you or for me or for any other human being? Can you remember when you get discouraged that when it gets magnified, that is the evil one who wants to destroy you and you don't have to be part of that party. Not only don't let him join your party, don't even have that party. You can go as quick as you want to to forgiveness. You can go as quick as you want to to strength. You can go as quick as you want to, as you're willing to, to 
to declaring the good works that God has spoken to you in the good days, they are good in the bad days too. They are good in the, in the difficult days. They are good in the days when you've messed up. Forgiveness is yours so fast. Jesus already did the work. And you now get to be partakers of what he has provided for you. And I get to be a partaker of what he has provided for me. None of us are exempt. Nobody gets out of here with no mistakes. Nobody gets out of here without discouragement. Every last person, all the people in the Bible, your favorite people, all those that are your favorites, your heroes of the faith, Daniel and David and, and um, Gideon and, and Paul and Peter, they all made mistakes. They all suffered discouragement at times. They all had to lean on the Lord for strength. They did not have the strength in themselves to do the things they did. They got it from Almighty God. Stand with me this morning. I want you to know that you are enough. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is within you. Because Jesus died for you. Because you are a child of the living God. Because you have his authority and his strength and his power. No sickness can come between you and him. No lack can come between you and him. No discouragement can come between you and him. No person, no relationship, no no somebody else saying that you've done something, they don't get to come between you and God. He is your forgiver. He is your strength. He is the lover of your soul. I don't care if every last person turns against you. There is one that never will. That is our God. He loves you so much, and he loves me. I'm so thankful for that. Father, we bring all of our needs to you this morning. We come to you as a loving Father that loves us and cares for us and is well able to do everything that we need. We ask you, Lord, for provision, Lord. We ask you for doors to be opened that don't want to open, but it's your will, and we declare those doors open in Jesus' name. We declare the wrong doors closed in the name of Jesus. We declare, Lord, that our loved ones will be saved in Jesus' name. We bind the devourer, we bind the deceiver, we bind the evil one and cast him out. And we loose the work of the Holy Spirit in our situations in Jesus' name. We declare healing where we need healing in Jesus' name. And we receive it. For all the things that you need from the Lord, people, I want you to say it right out loud, out of your mouth, as loud as you can. I receive it. I receive it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Do not be shy about what you want from God. Do not be shy about receiving from him. I don't care if you're going to the doctor tomorrow. Don't you fall into that trap of saying, I can't be healed today because the doctor won't believe I was ever sick. We don't care. The Lord is willing to heal you if you're willing to receive it. That is his will. Jesus took a beating, a beating that nobody else could have taken. For our healing. He hung on the cross for your salvation. Receive it. Father, if there's even one here today who doubts that you can save them, who doubts that, that maybe they have been, who thinks they've been too bad, 
for you to save and don't deserve it, Lord, I pray that you will reveal to them your love and your care and that you have been with them, wooing them and calling to them at every moment. And I pray, Lord, that not one person would leave this building today not knowing you as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that not one would leave this building today without a healing that they need in their bodies, Lord. I pray, Lord, that not one would leave this building today without wisdom and direction and the knowledge that you are in the middle of whatever it is that they need your help with and that you are doing what you said you would do. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Father, I pray that you would anoint our speaker today, that you would, that you would be there at every moment to give her strength and to give her an unction from you, Lord, and I pray that you would anoint our ears to hear the things that you have for us. I pray that you would bless this whole day and that you would help us to know that you care about missions, that you care about the unchurched and the unsaved and those that don't know you. And I just pray your blessing on every single thing that happens today in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. God is good. Amen. It is so good to be in his presence today. Harvest this atmosphere. The place is electric with his presence. Every need that you need to be supplied, the Father has supplied for you today. Just receive it. Amen. Hallelujah. What a special day. What an anticipating day we have. We've been looking forward to this day. For a long time, our annual missions convention. I, I am Liz and I are so delighted because this week we had some had an addition in our family. Our daughter and son-in-law and their family have come from Australia, and I think Kimmy just slipped out, but Emily is here. Emily, one of our granddaughters, is here. They have their three children: Josiah, Haley, and then Kimberly and Aaron. We're just delighted to have them with us. They're going to be going up to Orlando to work with our son. So until they go, we have them for a few days, and we're just enjoying them. Well, praise God. Today is a good day. We have a lot on our plate, a lot of good things to expect. But we're going to make our declaration now. So if you have what you're going to declare over, get it in your hand, and let's lay hands upon it in Jesus' name. And you that are watching online there's something on your screen that shows how you can participate with us and we'll all do it at the same time amen so you have it ready as we receive today's offering i am believing the lord for jobs and better jobs for raises and bonuses for benefits and salaries and commissions for favorable settlements for estates and inheritances for interest and income for rebates and returns and checks in the mail gifts and surprises finding money debts paid off expenses decrease and blessings increase thank you lord for meeting all of my financial needs that i may have more than enough to give into the kingdom of god and promote the gospel of jesus christ 
Hallelujah. We release that to you in Jesus' name. Would you come and give the yellow hats for all that loose change in your wallets and your purses that goes to our debt retirement. Come and give in Jesus' name. pray with me as we give this now to the Lord. Father, in obedience to your word, we bring our tithe into the storehouse. And you said that when we do that, there is a blessing that awaits us. And Lord, there's needs in this household today. We've gone through some struggles and some times, and we need your divine provision because man's provision doesn't suit us. So, Lord, we depend upon what your word said, that you would open the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing. You said you would supply our, our needs according to your riches. So, Lord, we stand upon your promises today. and We give this now to you. We sanctify it. We dedicate it for your service. And now we receive your blessing. I pray that it will be outpouring, pressed down, shaken together, and running over among your people in Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Praise God, praise God. Well, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, Randy, I'll leave that to you to take care of. Um, somewhere along the line, if we can get uh, somebody to just move this music stand and this microphone before the service is over, not right now, because afterward we're going to receive our... our uh, pledges and we're going to need to march up there so sometime before the thing is over we'll just move that um, also I wanted to mention to you that afterwards today after our meeting we're going to receive well after the speaker speaks we're going to receive a special offering for her and then we're going to receive your faith promises do you all have a faith promise card how many need one okay we have one here one here so somehow or another, we need to get faith promise cards to these people. Um, if you need one, just make sure uh, 
when Ken goes by, stick your foot out <laughs> or raise your hand. Right, right. Anybody else need a card? Over here. Put your hand up. Right, Ken, right back over here, this brother. Oh, he's got one. Should be in your bulletins, too. Now, the way that works, let me just explain it to you, and that is that this is a faith pledge, faith promise. You're not obligated to this, but what you're saying is, Lord, I would like to, and, and ask the Holy Spirit. Here's what, here's what you do. Ask the Holy Spirit what it is that he would like you to give in this next year to missions. Now, it might be something that you don't have, but you're going to expect the Lord to provide it for you. And then watch him provide it for you. It's a faith promise. Then fill that amount in and keep part of it with you and watch him provide. Because, you know, he's the one who provides for us anyway, isn't he? I'm going to give you a testimony that I haven't given you in a lot of years, but I'm going to tell it to you. Our youngest daughter, Michelle, when she was probably somewhere around Haley or Emily's age, she made a pledge to, f to missions, and then she came home and told us about it. And we thought to ourselves, well, now, that's going to be interesting. How is she going to come up with that money? And do you know, for she, she was eager to watch wherever I sat in the house, and then she would go down in the chair, and she would find loose change in furniture. When she would go to the store, she'd look in all the gumball machines. She, every time there was a coin laying on the ground, she would pick it up. And do you know that before the year was even over, I mean, well, well before the year was over, she had enough to meet her missionary faith promise. Now, that's from a child's perspective. The Lord will do the same thing for you. You watch. He'll do it. What you have to have is a willing heart and be willing to say, Lord, flow through me. I do not want to be a clogged artery. I want to be an open flow for your spirit. And watch, he'll pour out the provision for you because he loves missions. Jesus is the first missionary. Do you know that? He came from heaven to earth to rescue and redeem us. Hallelujah. So we're going we're gonna to give you the time during the service to think about that, to pray about that. The Holy Spirit's going to talk to your hearts as we go along through the message. And at the end of the message, then we're going to bring our faith promise cards up to this table here, and the missionary committee is going to tally them and let us know what it is, the grand total, and that from that grand total, that's how the missions committee will plan their budget for the upcoming year, and they'll announce that to us. Afterward, we're going to have a covered dish dinner next door, and it's going to be great. The food is coming in. It smells really good, and we are anxious to get fed physically and spiritually today. Amen? So, I just wanted to mention to you that about, oh, should we excuse Children's Church now? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Children's Church go. And while they're going, I want to tell you a little story. Back in the 1960s, there was a young man who had just come home from the service. And he was a serviceman in Korea during the Korean War. And while he was over there, <coughs> he saw the Lord touched his heart, and he had a heart for missions. And his desire was that he could go back to Korea as a missionary when he was finished with his tour of duty. 
So he came back to the United States and he talked about it with his wife and she was on board with it too. The problem was that in those days, the Assemblies of God had strict, strict restrictions on how you could become a missionary and they told him, you can't go to the mission field until you have some pastoral experience. So what he did is he decided to get that pastoral experience and he was he prayed and the Lord sent him to this little town out in the middle of nowhere called Port Charlotte, Florida. And he came to Port Charlotte and he thought, I'll start a church in Port Charlotte, but there was no church. And so obviously there wasn't any way of supporting himself. So he got a job at a cement factory, which isn't anymore, but it used to be out Harbor Boulevard. And while he was going back and forth to work on Harbor, Harbor View Road, I should say, uh, he saw a little community building, which isn't there anymore, and he decided to rent that building and hold church services in there. So while he was at work, his wife would go through the town with her stroller, and she would invite people to come to service on Sunday. Well, I'll fast forward the story. In about 1959 to 1960, through some interesting s turns of events, general development, and he came to an agreement that they would be given some land to build a church on, and that is the land on which this church is built. So this man, whose name was Henry Swain, and his wife, Lydia, built this church, much of it by hand. He was a cement man, so when he built the place, he built it like a bomb shelter. And when we had to redo the building, <coughs> it was very difficult to bring some parts of it down because there was so much rebar and concrete in it that it was hard to move it. But Henry and Lydia built this church, and they they worked hard, and they worked hard at building this church. And then, but their their desire was that they could go back to the mission field. But by the time that they had come this far, Henry had come to a place where he was too old for the missions depart to accept him. And <coughs> he thought he was he was in his house, and he was praying one day, and he was crying out to God and saying, "I've tried. I've worked at this so hard, but every time I try to get there." I get a roadblock in my way. And so he, he went off to work a little bit discouraged that day, but little did he know there was a fellow whose name uh, was Maynard Ketchum. And Maynard Ketchum was the man who was, the, it was in charge of uh, Far East missions for the Assemblies of God. And he has an amazing story too. But he used to come down to Florida every year to Northport to go to the Warm Mineral Springs. And while he was at the Warm Mineral Springs one day, the Holy Spirit impressed upon his heart that he should look up the local Assembly of God pastor because he had a message for him. So Maynard found where Henry lived and went to Henry's house. And he got there, and Henry was still at work, but Lydia was home with the kids, and he said, the Lord told me to come and give a special message to your husband. And she said, well, well what is it? And he said, I can't. I, I won't, I'll just wait here until he comes home. So Henry finally at the end of the day came home in his dirty, filthy, concrete clothes from working and Maynard told him, the Holy Spirit impressed upon me to come and tell you since I am the, I am the head of all Far Eastern, well, let me see, he was the head of, um, of the Far, the director of, of Far East Missions. He said, the Holy Spirit told me that I'm supposed to make it possible for him to get to Korea to be a missionary. And Henry began to weep. And the Holy Spirit filled that place. And in that place 
While Henry was on his knees in his concrete clothes and Lydia was there, the Holy Spirit filled that place with glory and they began to speak in tongues and, the, and plans were made for Henry to resign Calvary Assembly and prepare himself to go to Korea as a missionary. So Henry and Lydia went to Korea as a missionary and wouldn't you know, while they were there, they mentored a young pastor who was starting a little church of between a hundred and two, uh, between 1,000 and 2,000 people, and they mentored this young man. His name was Yonggi Cho. Has anybody heard that name before? Yonggi Cho, now, well, he's passed away, but for many, many years, the church in Korea was the largest church in the world. And Henry and Lydia were mentors to Young Cho. While they were doing that way, they would go to Thailand and other places for mission. They started a children's home and an orphanage. And then, and then Henry um, came down with an illness uh, called uh, Hodgkin's disease. And he had to come home from the mission field. And not long after that, he passed away. <coughs> but Lydia raised the children and by the time the last one was raised and on their way to Bible school, she got a communication from Yonggi Cho in Korea that said, would you return to Korea and be my personal assistant? So she went back to Korea and she became Yonggi Cho's personal assistant and the diplomatic director of all the foreign relations for the church. Now, this was a big church. I don't remember how many people were members of that. Would you happen to know how many people? It was multiple, multiple thousands of people. Uh, of that church. Now, isn't it fascinating that from a start of these missionaries who started Calvary Assembly of God, see, you and I sit here today, but we don't even know, we don't even realize the heritage that we are part of by being in this place today. Now, here we are in 2013, and the Lord has laid upon the heart of a young lady the same desire to go to Korea that was on the heart of Henry Swain. She's burning with a passion for the people of Korea. So it's that same fire that started this church and from the pastor that started this church that has lit the fire in the heart of this young lady. And today I want to introduce you to Janina Zicola. Did I say it right? And Janina has been called of the Lord to become a missionary to Korea. And we are blessed this morning to have her come and speak to us. Would you give her a warm, warm welcome as she comes to talk to us this morning? And Janina, this is for you if you should need it. God bless you and welcome. Thank you so much for having me and the learning the history and seeing the connection to Korea. That was really cool and really exciting for me. Um, thank you for the opportunity to be here and share with you today a little bit about South Korea and about the call that God has placed on my life for missions. There's going to be some pictures up there of me and my family. We've been missionaries since I was about three years old. And um, so I am now a second generation missionary that's going to be serving in South Korea for the next two years. And I spent around 10 years on the field with my parents in Guatemala, and they were being radically obedient to God's call of mission on their lives. And that was hard for me to understand when I was young, of course, because kids can't understand that when God asks you to do something, you have to be completely obedient to it. But it was a very interesting thing to grow up on the mission field. 
my parents did what many people thought was extreme. They sold their house, sold many of their belongings, packed up their three young kids, and moved to a dangerous foreign country to preach the gospel, all because God had told them to do that. And while I admired their obedience now, growing up on the mission field came up with its own sets of struggles and hardships for us kids, and we had to make certain sacrifices. One of the biggest sacrifices for me was long-term friendships. We would spend four years on the mission field and then move back to the States for a year, and that constant back and forth made it hard to keep track of friends and keep in contact with them since social media and all that wasn't that big back then. Coming back to the States was hard for my older siblings, my older brother and sister. They had a hard time coming back because Guatemala was home for them. That was where they had spent most of their childhood. They spoke the language, had a lot more friends, and had assimilated to life in Guatemala much more than me and my younger brother had. But for me and my little brother, we really loved when we came back because we struggled with our Spanish. And so coming back, we felt like so excited that we could finally communicate with people and finally be understood. We didn't have to use sign language or piece together our broken Spanish to try and make friends or speak with people. Throughout our childhood, my parents did a wonderful job of teaching us about seeking God's will for our lives. But, and I'm sorry, it's probably hard to keep up with me with the slides, but um, uh, they did a great job of teaching us this. But for me, I kind of dealt with two things in my life as I started to seek God's will for what he wanted me to do. Part of me really wanted to follow in my parents' footsteps and go into missions and work full-time in missions and ministry. And the other part of me just kind of wanted to do anything but missions and really wanted to kind of settle down and have roots here in the States and just have what I thought was a normal life. In high school, I was sure that I'd end up in full-time ministry, and I even felt drawn to South Korea but I didn't really have a full concept or idea of what that would look like. I was passionate about, about ministry in general. Any opportunity that I had to be serving in the church, I would make sure that I was there and I was faithful and just serving with kids, the nursery, youth, it didn't matter. Wherever I was needed, I would go. But then this mentality really changed once I started working at my first job after high school. And I started noticing that there were a lot of people around me that didn't know about what I had experienced as a child. They didn't understand what a missionary did. They hadn't traveled to a foreign country to preach the gospel. They hadn't been homeschooled. And so I started noticing that the way that I had grown up wasn't really like your typical American. It wasn't the normal way that an American child had grown up. And so I started really experiencing this dichotomy of desires within me. And part of me was passionate about going to South Korea. I didn't know how I was going to go or what that looked like. I didn't even know if it was going to be with a church or as a missionary, what it was. And then the other part of me really wanted to stay in the States and put down roots and really just work a normal job, have a group of friends that were always there for me, and just live what I thought was a more normal life. Thankfully, God's been very patient with me over the years since then and the months, the past few months especially, and he's been showing me that he hasn't called his children to be normal. He's called us to follow him, and his call requires nothing less than radical obedience. 
Now the word radical, it often has this sort of negative connotation and it can mean very different from the usual or traditional, but it also has a second definition that means favoring extreme changes in existing views, habits, or conditions. It's gonna be the next slide for you. Radical obedience doesn't deviate from what God's told you to do. It doesn't omit from or add anything to his instructions on your life. Now, there are many examples in the Bible of people that deviated from what God asked them to do, and the Israelites are a great example of this. But the story that I want to kind of talk about today is in 1 Samuel. It's going to be 1 Samuel 15. And the prophet Samuel goes to King Saul with some important instructions from God. Starting in verse 2, Samuel says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now, when you first read those verses, it can sound very harsh and unlike God, and you, you want to question it and be like, well, God's a loving God. Why would he want to destroy these people? But when you understand the context of this verse, you kind of see that it was actually in fulfillment of his judgment on these people that were wicked. Back in Exodus 17:14, God had commanded Moses, write this, the Amalekites attack and defeat. I'm going to kind of back up a little bit. Um, the Amalekites had actually attacked the Israelites while they were on their way out of Egypt. And they tried to use that vulnerable moment to attack them and plunder them and completely destroy them. Throughout the years, they had continued to come together with other tribes and nations to attack God's holy nation. And so his judgment was that he was going to completely wipe them out of the face of the earth. So in Exodus 17, 14, God commanded Moses, write this, the Amalekites attack and defeat on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Now, having this context makes us realize that instead of God being a cruel God that just wanted to destroy these people, he's actually a God that fulfills his word. He's faithful to fulfill his word. Now, in verse 7, it says, Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. King Saul and his men saw the best that the Amalekites had, and it made them hesitate to be completely obedient to what God asked them to do. Having all that plunder and the prestige that came along with capturing the Amalekite king alive blinded them from being fully obedient to God's commands. Now, God's disappointment in Saul is evident in verse 11 as he speaks to Samuel. He says, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. No matter how many times I read that verse, it always just hits me right in the heart because I feel like it would be devastating to ever hear God say that about me. If you were to ever say, I regret making Janina a missionary because she failed to follow my instructions, that would just crush me, it would devastate me. But as we continue to read on, we see that King Saul didn't immediately notice that he was disobedient to what God had asked him to do. 
In verse 13, Samuel confronts Saul. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Even after Samuel confronted him, King Saul didn't realize that he had failed to obey God's commands. His failure to obey every aspect of God's instructions meant that he had disobeyed God. He thought that the mission was to just go, to fight. He didn't understand that he had to follow every single instruction to the letter. He then tried to justify all of this by saying that they had made the decision to spare the best of the sheep and cattle, to sacrifice it to God, that it was done for God. Finally, Samuel replies in verse 22, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Through this story, we see that God gave a very specific command to King Saul. But instead of obeying it, he decided that he would just do what he wanted to do. It's possible that King Saul had good intentions when he decided to take all those sheep and cattle, that he really wanted to make this incredible offering to the Lord. But in the end, anything less than radical and total obedience is disobedience. If we fail to follow exactly what God has asked us to do, then the end result is completely different than what God intended. Think about a chef who takes the time to put together this incredible recipe, this delicious recipe. He writes out all of the ingredients, the amounts that you need, how long you should cook it, and he has this all written out for you in a way that makes it really easy for you to replicate that dish. Let's say you take that recipe, and instead of following it exactly, you decide that you're going to skip a step or you're going to remove a specific ingredient. Maybe there's a spice that you don't like or a step that's going to take too long. But then in the end, when you finish making that dish, it's not going to look anything like it was supposed to. I don't know if anybody here has ever heard of the Netflix show Nailed It, but it's this show where these three amateur bakers, they go and they try to replicate this confectionery dessert that's been made by a professional chef. And they will have access to all the ingredients. They'll have the instructions on how to make it. But it never fails, you can go ahead and show the next slide, the one after that, that when they're done, they've messed something up. They've either skipped a step, added a wrong ingredient, they've cooked it for too long or for too little, and in the end, it looks nothing like it was supposed to. 
some of you might be incredible cooks or bakers, and you might be thinking, well, I'm pretty sure that if it was me, I could make it better than the original. But if we take these two analogies and we apply it to radical obedience to God, that changes things. Do you really think that if you deviate from what God's asked you to do, that the end result is going to be better than what God intended? We can go back to the story of King Saul to see what happened as a result of his disobedience. In the end, Samuel tells King Saul in verse 28, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. It's interesting that King Saul's disobedience didn't just result in punishment for him, but it negatively affected his children and his nation. It had this ripple effect that continued to just expand beyond him. And that's the same thing that happens to us when we are obedient or disobedient. We will never know how our actions are going to affect those around us, but they will. I can only imagine how upset King Saul's kids must have been when they found out that they weren't going to get the chance to be king. They had spent their entire childhood being educated and training for that position, and then only to find out that because their dad wasn't obedient, they wouldn't be able to hold that position. They must have asked Saul a thousand times, why? Why couldn't he have just been obedient and followed what God was asking him to do? There are plenty of other examples in the Bible of people that failed to be radically obedient to God, and I've personally experienced this in my own life as well. As I mentioned, once I started working, I kind of struggled a lot with my call to full-time ministry and missions, and I just started to seek out that normalcy and try to figure out on my own what I wanted to do. I found a group of friends, and I was really excited to have these friends around me, but they were people that pulled me away from the Lord. And that caused me to really suffer with my mental health. I started struggling with depression and anxiety. I started just lending out money freely because I felt like that's how I had to make friends. That if I said no, when they asked me for money, that they just wouldn't want to be around me anymore. And so I started getting into massive debt, really struggling with my mental health. And if I wasn't at work or out with my friends, I was just at home, shut up in my room, sleeping excessively or just playing video games all day. I felt like my life had no purpose and no direction. But in 2018, God completely changed my life around. I rededicated my life to him. He healed me of my mental health issues, and so now I'm completely healed. He helped me get free of debt. And now he's given me more purpose than I could ever imagine. Thank you. Even after I decided to be obedient and try and, you know, dedicate my life to Christ, there were still some things that I was holding back, some things that I was unwilling to give to the Lord and submit to him in. I always knew on some level that I was called to missions, but there was just this part of me that really struggled with that because I knew that calling came with a sacrifice. And that sacrifice was something that I wasn't willing to make. So I started looking everywhere else and seeing I could go to Korea, but maybe I could go as an English teacher. Or maybe I could go and just work with a company and then do missions or ministry on the side in that way. I was like a kid with my fingers in my ears or my hands covering my ears and just like looking everywhere else but where I was supposed to because I didn't want to see and hear something that was going to make it hard for me to be obedient. Thankfully, God didn't let me use my excuses and the fear of my insecurities and he didn't allow me to 
follow along that path. He was faithful and just gently kept pushing me towards missions and kept impressing on my heart and showing me that the sacrifices that I will have to make in this calling are worth making. I may have to make sacrifices. I may have to suffer sometimes. But that doesn't mean that there won't be blessings along the way and that there won't be lives transformed for his glory. The ultimate example of this principle is the life of Christ. We know that God was sending his only son to die on a cross on behalf of us. Jesus was destined to die an undeserving and painful death and experience unimaginable suffering on our behalf. Being radically obedient for him meant giving his life. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5 foretold what Jesus would do for all mankind and how he would be treated by the Pharisees and the people of his day. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Can you imagine how difficult it must have been for Jesus to be radically obedient to what God was asking him to do? Just because he was God and man didn't mean that he was immune to that suffering and that burden that was on his shoulders. He could have decided that he wasn't going to fulfill the prophecies. He could have decided that he wasn't going to let Judas betray him, that he wasn't going to be beaten and spat on that he wasn't going to remain silent in the face of his accusers. He could have decided to not fulfill those prophecies, but he did. Because he knew if he failed to follow God's instructions, exactly as he'd been writing them out in, for centuries in these prophecies, that the end result would be completely different than what God intended. Jesus wasn't immune to the burden that he was carrying, and we can see this in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying. In Luke 22, 41 through 44, it says, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. Jesus was in so much turmoil about what he was about to suffer on behalf of us that his sweat was mixing with his blood. The other way around, his blood was mixing with his sweat. This is something that's been scientifically proven to happen when people are under an incredible amount of stress. But that didn't stop him. He was radically obedient. He suffered all the things that had been prophesied for centuries, and he died on a cross so that we could have salvation. Now, as a result of his obedience, we get to experience a personal relationship with God here on earth and the promise of eternity in heaven with him. I don't even want to think about where I would be if Jesus hadn't been radically obedient and if he hadn't made that sacrifice. And now, as a result of his sacrifice, I'm able to make the sacrifices that I must make to follow his call to South Korea. Now, whenever I talk about South Korea, I can't help but be reminded about the event that sort of started the burden on my heart. In high school, I was introduced to their music and their dramas, and it was really just 
um, something that I instantly fell in love with. It just captured my heart, their rich culture. I loved it all. And there was this one particular artist that I was a huge fan of, and he was a very talented singer, very, very talented lyricist. And for about five or six years, I was a fan of his. I was listening to all his music, watching all his music videos. And even though I obviously never met him in person, it still felt like on some level I was getting to know him. And his music was there for me when it was very hard for me. On the days that I was really struggling with my depression, I would listen to his music and it would kind of help me get through the day. So I was devastated in 2017 when I heard that he had actually committed suicide. What was even more heartbreaking was that he left a note behind saying that he had tried his best, that he had fought as much as he could, that he'd even sought counseling, but that his psychologist told him his mental health issues were his fault that he was the reason that he was suffering with his depression. I didn't understand how that was even possible. Since I was suffering with depression and anxiety, I was seeing a therapist myself, and I couldn't even imagine how devastating it would have been for me if I had heard that from my therapist. So I started doing some research, and I quickly discovered that South Korea doesn't talk about mental health. It's a very taboo topic over there, and people don't try to get the help that they need. They don't try to share what they're going through for fear of being judged. If your job, I've heard from some friends in South Korea that if your job actually finds out about what you're going through and they find out that you're seeking help for it, they can fire you. And if you get fired for that reason, it's gonna make it really hard for you to find another job because they do actually follow up on your previous employers in South Korea. It's really difficult to get the help that you need over there because of this. And it's just one of the reasons why the suicide rate in Korea is so high. But as I continued to research, I also discovered that South Korea has an extremely competitive academic and work environment. S since high school, these students are spending 10 plus hours a day studying because they feel like that's what they have to do to get into these prestigious universities. Their goal is to be able to get a good job when they get out of college, and they know that being able to do that hinges on their ability to succeed in school and have these academic records that are just insanely high. And so they try their best. They study 10 plus hours a day. They'll go to school, and then they'll go to tutoring, and then they'll go home and do their homework. And it's just this loop that, that's five to six days a week that they're going through. Once they graduate from college and they start applying for jobs, they know that they have to have graduated with good grades. They have to maybe have some sort of connection in the job position and even maybe look a certain way. When you submit an application in Korea, you're also required to submit a photo of yourself. And there are some people that feel like they were rejected for the position because another applicant was more attractive than them. And that just takes a hit on their self-esteem. It can be incredibly hard to find jobs in Korea, and there are college graduates that will spend years and years applying for jobs only to get rejected. And they'll just start spiraling. Their mental health will just start dropping lower and lower because their sense of self-worth is so ingrained in and so intertwined with their ability to succeed and to achieve these things. And these are just a few of the reasons why South Korea is the country with the fourth highest suicide rate in the world. There's an average of 40 people committing suicide a day. That's 40 people a day that feel so lost, so overwhelmed, and just feel like they can't do it anymore, so they decide to end it all. 
As I found out about how high the suicide rate was over there and about this huge gap in need, I started feeling this heaviness on my heart and I didn't really understand it at first. I didn't understand that God was giving me his heart for the people of South Korea. But as I continued to pray about it, as I continued to just seek his will in this area, he showed me that he was sending me to share the hope of Jesus Christ with these people. As I started being radically obedient, started surrendering my plans of trying to have a normal life, um, and just started surrendering it all to him, things fell into place so much more quickly than if I had tried to do this on my own. I applied for a two-year assignment to South Korea and got approved in record time. Usually it takes about like three months, but it took me a month or maybe a few, a few days less than a month. He's been providing me with mentors who are helping me spiritually prepare for the field, and he's providing me with financial supporters as well in just incredible ways. He's even providing me with the skills and the tool set to be able to do what he's called me to do. I'm actually terrified of public speaking, so before I come up here, I always get really nervous and start shaking, feeling like I'm going to throw up or pass out. But once I get up here, God just gives me such a peace, and he helps me to be able to share what it is that he's called me to share. In 2021, I spent three months serving in South Korea, and it was just a transformative time for me because it really opened my eyes to the need even more. It's different when you read about it online and then when you go and actually experience it and see it for yourself. The ministry that I worked with was this college campus ministry called Chi Alpha, and I'll actually be working with them again on my next assignment as well. And Chi Alpha focuses on making disciples on college campuses who then go and make disciples. Once a week, and that should be the next slide, once a week we go and we actually spend a time of prayer on a college campus and we'll kind of rotate across the campuses that are in Seoul. And we'll just spend time in prayer really warring in the spirit for these students, praying against strongholds of depression and anxiety and division, just whatever it is that God lays on our heart. We'll just be walking around the campus and praying, and then as we encounter students, we will then hand them a pamphlet, and we'll try to engage them a little bit and just share about Chi Alpha and share about that ministry. Our weekly Bible talks that we invite them to are just basically open discussions about the Bible. We'll read a portion of scripture, and then we'll kind of ask them some strategic questions to help them delve into what the Bible is showing them about who God is. And this really helps them be more open to the Bible because there's a lot of cults over there that imitate Christianity. And so they're very kind of, um, they have their walls up when it comes to being indoctrinated about a certain religion. They're very cautious. So these open conversations kind of give them the opportunity to discover who God is for themselves instead of them feeling like we are forcing what we believe on them. But where I've seen Chi Alpha be the most effective when it comes to mental health and addressing that need is in our one-on-one -on -one mentorships. We actually try to make sure that we are spending at least um, time with two students a week. And so we try to go out with these students, we'll get lunch with them, or maybe we'll do something fun with them. And it's really just a time of relationship building. We do our best to make sure that these students feel connected with us. They feel like they can talk to us about anything. And so as we build this rapport with them, we build these relationships they're able to see that they can just share whatever they might not feel comfortable sharing in a group setting like the Bible Talks. In 2021, I had the privilege of mentoring this young woman named Asiem, and she is just this incredible woman of God now. When I got there to South Korea, the first service I was in was the service that she actually dedicated her life to Christ. 
she actually had um, been coming from a Muslim background. And so Christianity was new to her. It was something that was, of course, taboo in her country. So this was the first time that she was really hearing about it. And being there to disciple her and be able to walk with her through that process of you know, learning all she could about Christ in that short amount of time that I was there was just such a privilege for me. I saw her blossom into this strong Christian that had this beautiful faith in Christ and this beautiful walk with God. And it was also neat to see that God had placed me there strategically in that time in her life. As we started to get closer and she started to feel more comfortable with me, she shared that she was struggling with depression. She shared that it's really common for students in their third semester to struggle with their mental health because this is when their more intense college courses start. And so there's such a steep learning curve and the work amount is just, the workload is just overwhelming for them that they often start to spiral into depression. But God had a plan. And he had sent me there during that time to be able to be there with her and walk with her through that time. Since I had my own experience with it, I was able to pour into her scriptural truths to be able to share my own transformation with my mental health and really be able to inspire her to find that joy in Christ and find her self-worth in Christ instead of trying to find it in school and in other things. It was such a privilege for me to do that for her. And now I'm really excited to be able to continue doing that as I go back to South Korea. Now I share all of this because it's really important for everyone to understand the significance of being radically obedient to God. It doesn't just affect your life, it affects those around you. King Saul's disobedience resulted in negative um, repercussions for him, for his children, for his nation. My disobedience resulted in personal suffering for me and loss of time when I could have been ministering in South Korea. On the other hand, Christ's obedience led to salvation for the world, a promise of eternity with him and a personal relationship with God. And now I'm really excited to see what God achieves through my obedience to him. As I've been sharing today, there may have been things that have popped into some of your heads. Maybe God's reminding you of something that he's been asking you to be obedient in and something that you've just been hesitant to follow through with. I want to encourage you and invite you today to just take a moment to ask yourself why. What is it that's holding you back from being radically obedient? Are you worried about being judged by families or friends? Are you concerned about the sacrifice involved? Are you unsure about whether or not it is God that's asking you to do these things? I do want to encourage you that if you are worried about the sacrifice or the suffering that you might have to go through when you're obedient, just remember that God is worthy of it all. He paid the ultimate sacrifice, and he suffered so much on behalf of us, and we should consider it a joy and a privilege to be able to do the same to bring him glory. I do want to leave you with some practical things that you can do if you're feeling hesitant about following through with what God's asking you to do today. One of the best things that you can do is actually write down what it is that you feel like he's asking you to do, even if you're not sure whether or not it's him. Just write it down. I say this because there are times when we've all experienced it either at work or at home where somebody's asked us to do something and we're like, okay, when I'm done with X, Y, and Z, then I'll go do that. But then as time goes by, we start to forget the details. We start to forget what exactly they asked us to do or maybe even forget the task altogether. If we take the moment to write it down, then that makes it less likely that we're going to forget the details. And we'll be able to be completely and wholly obedient to what God's asking us to do. Now, if you're not sure about whether or not God has asked you 
to do this thing, then just remember that he's never going to ask you to do something that contradicts who he is. If you're spending time with the Lord daily, if you're spending time in prayer and in devotion with the Lord daily, then you're going to recognize when it's him that's speaking. And if you're still struggling on whether or not that's him speaking to you, then maybe it's time to examine your time with the Lord. Maybe you need to start spending more time with him. Maybe you need to start including some fasting in there. Just take a moment to examine that within you. A pastor once used the example that when you're in a grocery store or in a restaurant, there's so many people talking around you, so many voices all around you, but if you're with someone that you know, you can always pick their voice out. Because as you spent time with that person, you rem remember and recognize their voice. The same thing applies to God. As we spend more and more time in his presence and more and more time with him, no matter how many voices are around us, we're going to be able to recognize when he's the one that's speaking to us. Lastly, if you're hesitant to act on something that you've confirmed God has asked you to do, then I want to invite you to examine why. What is it that's making you hesitant? And then once you have that answer, take those things and submit them to the Lord in prayer. And also seek godly counsel. Your pastors and spiritual leaders here in the church are here to walk with you whenever you're dealing with situations like that. They're here to provide discernment, godly wisdom. They're here to encourage you and inspire you to act when God's asking you to do something, even when you may not be able to do that for yourself. I challenge you to not wait another day to be radically obedient to what God's asking you to do. Trust him with everything. Trust that as you're obedient to what he's asking you to do, that he's going to take care of everything else. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, when I was sitting there listening, I thought to myself, the story that I told you at the beginning of the service, none of us were here to see that. That was in the past. Um, some younger people probably weren't even born. Now, you and most of us remember the 60s, but some people don't. This morning, I think you and I had a chance to look into the future. Because we, as we've seen Gina, right? Many of us won't probably be around when Gina reaches retirement. Because we don't know what God is going to do with her life. But we are seeing the future. We're seeing the very beginning of a life committed to God in missions. And who knows what's going to be accomplished through you in Korea. I don't know. I just feel a real kind of a prophetic word over you that God's got something amazing, amazing for you to the same degree as Henry and Lydia and Yonggi Cho had. And pursue that, pursue that vision and don't let anything or anybody stop you. And you and I, even though we may not be around to see it, we can sow into it. 
We can sow into the future. Do you understand how that works? So this morning as we come to a time of where we can literally sow into something, let's do this. First of all, first of all, I just wanted to to maybe introduce you to some of the missions team. Are you, are the, is the missions committee all here, Ken, or are some of them already working? Some of them are probably working in the next room, and they've done an amazing job. There's Ken back there, and there's so many other. I don't even know who all is on the team, but they've been working real hard to make this a special day. Marcia, Denise Lazenby, Liz Kalenda, so many others. So as you go in there, be sure to be sure to thank them and acknowledge them. You're going to walk into a beautiful, beautifully set up place. But here's what I'd like you to do. Ken is coming up, and he's going to put an offering plate on that table, or two, maybe two. And I'm going to ask you to do something for us, and that is I want you to begin to fill out those faith promise cards. But what I'd like you to do is to also, with your faith promise, bring up a special offering for Gina today. And <clears throat> let's send her on her way with a, a good seed gift. Amen? <clears throat> so I'm going to give you a few minutes to just fill out that faith promise form. And as you do, I want to just pray over you. Heavenly Father, you have given us a special, special blessing today with the ability to share with and partner and look into the future through the life of Gina and the call that you've put upon her and upon those who have preceded us, even in this local church. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will surround her with your divine protection and commission her May your Holy Spirit come upon her in a powerful way. May she day by day experience the glory and the power and the teaching of your Holy Spirit as he leads and guides her into all truth. Lay upon our hearts today what we can do to sow into this ministry of this young lady. We don't know what the future holds, but Lord, we know you hold the future and we want to be part of that plan. You told us in the scripture to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves can't break in and steal. This is one of the ways that we can lay up treasures in heaven because the investment that we make can't be stolen and will not fade and grow old because it's eternal and it's not temporal. So in the name of Jesus, I speak this word over Gina and over these dear people that are here today, that you will lay upon our hearts the vision, the vision of the lost in Korea and around the world. In Jesus' name, supply our need. Supply each need, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So would you take some time to just come and place your offering in that, um, in, well, Ken will give you it. Which one is offering, Ken? That's offering, and the other one is faith promise. So come on up and just begin to do that as the Lord lays it upon your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.
leave anybody out just a few minutes we're going to go and enjoy some fellowship together there's a table that's set up for the missionary and the missionary committee all the other places are available to you it's important that you choose your place before you go get your food because if not someone will find your place <laughs> so when you go in there do that first we encourage to let our guests and our dis disabled people to go first. But before we do that, I would like to just ask you to pray. I, and I'm gonna, it's, it's Janina, and I've been calling you Gina, right? I would I'd like to ask you to come up. And some of the ladies, I'd like you to come and just gather around her. And I think that we just, I feel impressed that we need to pray over her for a divine anointing. I know she already has one. But would you come on up? And we just want to we just want to lay hands on you and pray over you, that the Holy Spirit will strengthen and empower you. So some of you ladies just gather around her right now. We've got some wonderful women of prayer in this place today, and just begin to speak big things over her life. Just begin to speak great things over her life in Jesus' name. Just begin to call out each and every one of you. Hallelujah. Lord, we give you thanks, give you praise for your divine anointing to rest upon her. Prepare the way before her. Make straight the path before her, we pray. Protect and keep. Hallelujah. Plan her future. Make the ground in which she sows fertile ground. May the anointing of the Holy Spirit pour forth through her. 
in Jesus' name. That your anointing will increase and increase and increase. Put to flight all of her foes. Give her clarity of vision. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's a mighty presence of the Lord in this place today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to just pray a blessing over you like I usually do and then pray for the food. And then we're, gonna, we're going to dismiss ourselves into the next room. And we're going to just enjoy the afternoon together. Amen. Sometime during the meal, I'm going to get a word from Ken. And we'll be able to tell you what our tally is for today. So, Lord, I just ask for your blessing to be upon the food today. Thank you for each and every one who has labored to prepare it for us. May we be nourished and fed in Jesus' name. And now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you and may he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Your leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever you do shall prosper. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now... Unto him who is able to keep you from falling and who is able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and honor and dominion and power 
both now and forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Please stick around. Even if you didn't plan, if you forgot or didn't bring any food today, you're invited to stay with us regardless. Everyone is welcome. There's no strings attached. Just move on into the next room. Find your place. We've already prayed for the food, so as soon as you've secured a place to sit, then you're welcome to proceed on into the room and to get your meal. Thank you so much for being with us today. Have an amazing, wonderful, and blessed day in Jesus' name.